Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey there. Ever dream of making your own podcast? Let me tell you a little bit about Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. First, it's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to Why Are You Like This, a podcast devoted to finding out who we are and why we do the things we do. I'm your host, Ryan Andrews, and today's guest is first and foremost, Hot. He's a dancer, a choreographer, a writer, and a curator of the queer arts. The original gay with a dangly earring, please welcome to the mic, Brendan Drake. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> what a setup. <laughs> hey, baby, how are you? Hi, I'm good. It's good to hear your voice. Oh my gosh, it's so nice. You know... People say it's it's hard to maintain friendships between Brooklyn and Manhattan, and they're right. It's a long-distance relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but also, like, I used to live in that neighborhood, so I keep thinking, like, when I hear you or any of our mutual friends who live up there talk about being up there, I'm like, yeah, when we were, uh, and, uh, like, weirdly, vicariously living for you. Yeah, uh, that's how I feel about any time someone goes out in Brooklyn. I'm like... One, I don't know where you are, but two, <laughs> yeah, I've been there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it feels like oh, she's she's right next door, but it's it's fully a ninety minute train ride. Yeah, social media does that though, don't it? Oh yeah, I mean, my best friend lives in L.A., and I saw her for the first time in two years uh, last week, and it like occurred to me right when we saw each other in person that we hadn't seen each other in person for two whole years, and I did get a little misty. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy how you could just like build up in your mind these things that are like, I feel like I'm seeing this person. Yeah, it's really messed up. Yeah, it's not like <laughs> great, but you can have enough like texting conversation and then you see visuals from Instagram and you're like, yeah, I've, I know exactly what's going on in your life. And you're like, yeah, but we haven't been in a room together in two years. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a big reason why, I mean, I don't really date at all, but um, that's why online dating is so 
strange to me because you'll go on a date with somebody after maybe talking to them for a couple weeks and they have access to your Instagram and your Facebook. I mean, they did with mine when I had a, a Tinder account. And then you go on your first date with them and they seem to just be well-versed in who you are already. And it's like, okay, well, what do we, what do we talk about now? Like I, like, Oh yeah, I went to college here. Yeah, I know. I'm like, okay, why don't you tell me about who I am? Thank you. This is okay. I too don't date a lot. So maybe somebody who's listening to this can give me some advice because I feel the exact same way. So anytime I get into a interaction with someone on an app, I'll be like, if they start just talking to me like a normal person, for some reason, I feel like they're going to murder me. Mm-hmm. And if they're like, do you want to just come over and like suck my dick? I'm like, sure. But I can't find a happy medium. I think the uh, going straight to the dick sucking, there's something very human about that. So I actually understand that impulse to trust that more than someone wanting to have a legitimate conversation. Because especially if you're on a grinder or a scruff, you know what you know what you're there for. Yeah. And so there's this the banter. I mean the banter's exhausting first off. The like, hey, how's it going? Not much. How about you? Pretty good. Just chill. Like it's it's <laughs> like are we're, we're really going to do this. So I think the I mean I don't really like in those situations like the first interaction to be a photo of someone's hole. Um, no. No thanks. But I do appreciate the the honesty of someone saying what they want yeah um and there because there is something about i don't know i think if you were gonna have like a real conversation then just like once you've decided on each other as like two mutually attractive gents or people who want to get to know each other better just book a date for coffee yeah just got to, I got to book it faster. I think. I think that's the key. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a talker. So I'll, 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 when I was doing online dating, I'd talk to somebody for, for weeks before setting a, setting any kind of in-person date. And then, you know, and then the date's always a little disappointing, unfortunately, but. Oh, well, you know, there's hope. Yeah. Well, and I'm so glad we started this out with uh, dating advice for Ryan. I know I have already mentioned whole picks. <laughs> Happy Pride. Happy Pride, everyone. <laughs> Four minutes in, I've said suck dick, and we've seen whole pics. So if you didn't yeah. know, we're two queer gentlemen talking to each other. Homosexuals. Homosexual. Home also, no one's... I'm not... I actually really, really don't like whole pics. I like butt pics. I like dick pics. I love a sensible nude. I hate whole pics. I think they're bizarre. I just want a little bit of mystery. Yeah. Sorry. I don't mean to be controversial on your podcast. Come in. Blow it up. Make it go crazy. So, you know, talking about whole picks and all that, let's rewind back a little bit <laughs> and talk about how you became who you are. <laughs> how to become who I am. Um, should I start from the beginning? Start from the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. Great. Uh, I was born on a cold winter's night in mm. February. Uh <laughs> Chilly. <laughs> Sorry, it was chilly. <laughs> I'm from I'm from Massachusetts. I yeah I I, I don't know I uh, you've met my parents. They're pretty cool. They're great. Yeah, they're really great. Also, just the just the listeners might not know. There's like a very slim chance that we might be distantly related because our families are from the same town. 
Yeah. And it's a small town. So. And it's a small town. <laughs> there really aren't that many people from there, but. Oh my God. We could be kissing cousins. Ew. Whatever. I mean, actually, that would be really rad. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm from there. From I'm a New England boy. I come from a very loud family, as you've experienced. A lot of personality. A lot of, like, fighting for attention, I guess. That's kind of how the conversations go. But I also think... I've, I've had conversations with a lot of people about this because I think particularly the Northeast, particularly Massachusetts, there's this style of, of conversation that is just a constant overlap of words. Yeah. Like there's no waiting for somebody to finish a sentence and then you politely begin a sentence. There is just interrupting. And I grew up with that and I never thought it was weird. And then I moved to New York City and met people from like Iowa <laughs> who are po- generally more polite. Um also, like, my boyfriend's from Canada, which is just, like, where politeness was invented. Yeah. And and he he even noticed it when he, like, hung out with my parents. He's like, oh, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of talking. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, it's like that. And the older I get, the more I realize how it can be a little jarring from the outside. But it's, you know, it's what I knew. Yeah, it's always crazy when I uh, hop in with the Rhode Island family because it is just a cacophony of sounds and it feels aggressive Yeah, because I grew up in Oregon. So we don't, we don't talk that way in Oregon, but give me like three hours and I'm there. I'm in it, but it does always take an adjustment period. Yeah. And there's a complete disregard for the letter R complete. It's just, it doesn't exist. They just skip it in elementary school in the, on the Eastern seaboard. There's only 25 letters in the alphabet. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's very specific. Uh, I feel like I'm in like a deleted scene from the departed whenever I go (laughs) see my dad's side of the family, but you know, whatever it's, it's entertaining. It's good content. It is good content. It's always a good conversation. Yeah. Um, Sometimes I, I have a I actually have kind of like a fraught relationship with some people on that side because that's also the like conservative side. But um, it's again, it is it is good content. My autobiography will be very colorful. I love that. Yeah. When did you start dancing? I started so <sighs> <laughs> theater. Theater and dance kind of happened simultaneously. I started taking tap lessons when I was like 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. And that's also when I started going to theater camp. So they both made their way into my life at the same time. And it was always an equal love affair with both theater and with dance. And I would I would have moments of like, I only want to dance. And then I'd, I'd, I'd be like, oh, fuck theater. And then I would get really disenchanted by dance and move back to theater and ended up going to performing arts high school where I was kind of straddling the two departments at all times and just never really, never really committed to either. But at the same time, like, was very much committed to both. Um, so I started, I started tap dancing when I was 10. I moved on to like contemporary dance and, you know, the weird shit when I hit high school. I had the most, I have to like shout out Jen Pollins, who used to be the director of dance, uh, and Jody Falk, who used to be the directors of dance at the Pioneer Valley Performing Arts Charter High School. Um, 
because they were the ones who made me fall in love with dance. Because they were the one. They just like it. It. I think often with dance training, I think this is with with theater training too. But I think more so with dance, it's about the dancing. It's about you dancing. It's about you judging your body in front of a mirror, and trying to be the best technician. And what what Jody and Jen brought to me was was this interest in like, well, what is what is choreography? What is dance? Like, what what are you interested in? And they would show. We'd have these rainy days in a class where they were like, okay, we're not going to dance today. We're going to watch this. PBS documentary from the early nineties on Bill T. Jones, or, um, they both had their dance careers, uh, their professional dance careers, mostly in Europe. So they showed me a lot of European artists who I don't know that I would have found out about if I had just like gone to a ballet school and did that, that whole thing. Um, so I, there's this great company that I don't think exists anymore called DVA that they, introduced me to and it's it's very much like a dance theater um company they introduced me to pina bausch pina bausch was like my into choreography it's been a really bizarre journey in the arts but theater and dance have kind of always been equal loves of mine from like age 10 well you're my only um like dancer dancer friend so when you say names that are important, I often go, mm-hmm, and yeah. And then I look figured. At, and look at you in awe uh, just <laughs> over the fact that you have full control over your entire body. Uh, I don't, sure. Okay, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, yeah, I'm also, I've, I've always been, I think the, the reason dance has kind of come to the forefront for me as an artist is because I've, I think I've always been a little bit more interested in the theory and history behind dance. And so I, I mean, from high school through college to now, if I hear the name of a choreographer, I will try and learn everything I can about that choreographer and watch their work and read the interviews and watch the YouTube clips of them talking about, you know, their random residency in Paris 20 years ago. Um, and that's, I mean, that's, but that's just how I, like, I'm, I'm a capital D dance nerd. Um, I mean, I can talk about, I can, I can, I can drop choreographer names all day long and just like make people's head spin. I, I, I love, I love learning more about other choreographers. I think the way that you like nerd out about dance and like get so specific about stuff really comes through in the work that I've seen of yours too, where it just like everything feels purposeful in a way that I think is theatrical in its yeah. storytelling. And I, I like that. I don't, I don't know if that make I'm no dance expert, but I think that makes you a pretty damn good creator. Um, I constantly think about the one piece of yours that I saw um, in person, literally seconds before everything shut down. I was just, besides like the dance, which I was, in awe of because again I have no idea what I'm looking for I just know that I had a really fucking good time but it was emotional and beautiful and I think about literally your dangly earring monologue so Mm. often because (laughs) I walked away from that being like I walked in thinking Brendan was this kind of artist and Mm -hmm. I walked away with a whole different worldview of you as a creator which I think oh, wow. is a very cool thing to do in your own piece. Oh, that means a lot, Ryan. Um, 
Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I, it, 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 as, as a creator yourself, you know, it just takes, it's a, it's a lifetime to figure out like who you are within your work. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think with that, with that piece, I mean, first of all, I think it's wild that like the piece I made literally, we performed it a week before the shutdown happened. Um, that piece was about community and how particularly queer people find other queer people and where, where those building of the building of friendships, the, the breaking down of friendships, like what are the nuances of that? Um, and I just like, I still am like, so I'm a little haunted that like that piece that was so specifically about community and being together, like happened. And then a week later, I didn't see any of my friends for another year. Yeah. And I, and it was such a witchy piece too. Like we kind of made fun of like witchcraft culture within queer spaces about how it's, <laughs> how it's kind of like vapidly like we're queer. So we're witches. I'm like, girl, <laughs> you just like the color black. I was like, you're wearing black. <laughs> like, yeah, we all saw the craft when we were 10. Relax. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, but, but there is also something really witchy about the queer experience because it, I mean, even just the like, when you're 10 or 11, you think you're alone in your interests. Like you think, you know, I, I thought I was so weird because I had kind of found musical theater and was casually reading Shakespeare at the beach. And like, I would watch, uh, you know, seeing like the, the Divas Live concert with Celine Dion and Mariah Carey and Gloria Estefan and Shania Twain and Aretha Franklin, and then just being so blown away and obsessed with it. And no one around me was obsessed with it. And then cut to 10, 15 years later, I'm having conversations casually on a rooftop in Hell's Kitchen and somebody else has had that same experience. That to me is incredibly witchy and magical. So there is this, you know, there's this, there is a magic, there's a witchiness to being queer. Um, I think social media, uh, particularly Twitter and Instagram creates this culture in which we kind of buzzword our experience uh-huh. And that kind of cheapens, I Magic. think cheapens, yeah, it cheapens how special it is. I mean, I think it is, I think it's really special that we all like, that we survived it because it was, it was, it, you know, it was traumatic. Even with the best parents, it's, it is it growing up in the early aughts and being a queer kid that, that was not, it was not fun. Yeah. And I, I also find it so inter- like it is isolating because for the first time when you're like discovering that you are queer in any way, you're also not like your family who you're told your whole life. You're supposed to be the most like, Mm -hmm. like there isn't for most people. It's not like when I was coming out, my dad was also gay. So I could like ask him like advice on how to come out. Yeah. Um, which I think is isolating in its own way. So mm-hmm. then when we get to these cities, these meccas of queer people, and we get to finally talk about the Divas Live concert, it's A, a celebration of like, oh my God, someone's like me. And then B, it turns into this like pissing contest of like, well, I know that the light on stage left was actually turned off during this number and it made Shania Twain pissed. Like... <laughs> Like just weird shit like that where I'm like, how quickly it can go from, oh my God, you're like me too, 
to a competition is always kind of fascinating to me. I mean, we all are in our 30s. You're thir- uh, sorry, not to out you, Ryan. I am 29. Oh my God, shut up. <laughs> um, I I had a very typical, I think, experience of when I hit my 30s, I like re-hit adolescence again in a weird way because I... I think when I, when I turned 30, that's when I started actually like embracing queer friendships and like deciding to actually like go to bars in New York city and make friends and have hookup apps and like wear the dangly earrings and live that life. And like, I don't know, just empower my queerness a little bit. And what happened with that is I, I did also kind of have a high school experience that I didn't get to have, uh, when I was actually 16. And mm-hmm. I went, you know, and I went to art school. So like it was, it was a queer friendly space, uh, but I was still one of the only out queer kids at my high school at this, at this, you know, wild school for the performing arts that was essentially theater camp for four years. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was still very heteronormative. I mean, it's still like, and then the worst, the worst part about that and, or not the worst part, but the the interesting part about that is you go to a space like that, that's so open and liberal minded that if you have, you know, I, there was no hiding my queerness when I was 14. So I walked into this space and everybody had just decided I was gay. There was no closet to come out of. And which in itself was, I think good because it made the coming out process easier in many ways, but it also didn't allow me to like, empower myself to discover who I was because everybody that, you know, the 400 kids at the school had decided who I was. Right. And even if you weren't gay, it was decided. Well, that's the other thing. Cause, cause there were, there were kids at my high school who weren't gay. They were straight. They're still straight. And they wanted to, they just wanted to dance and do musical theater. They just wanted to do guys and dolls. Yeah. They just liked the yeah. masculine musicals. Yeah. Oh God. Um, we did we did guys and dolls at my high school one year and i just remember it was like we were choosing the musical and it was between jesus christ superstar and guys and dolls and they decided to do guys and dolls because jesus christ superstar was too inappropriate oh okay yeah. i was like okay so we're gonna do the musical where all the men are gangsters and the only job for the women in that show are to dance in their underwear yes that's much more appropriate for 15 year olds <laughs> The, the the selection process for high school musicals could be its own seven hour miniseries of yeah, podcasts. It's violent. It's crazy. It's I a remember crazy world. I remember some kid because they, they made the mistake of like giving the, like letting the students have input. Oh shit. <laughs> Which like I I I'm I, like agency is great, but in that situation I was like, I don't know if you should have really asked us. Um because I remember one kid was like, let's do Batman the musical. And I just remember being like 16 or 17 and just in this like forum being like, that's not a musical, you dumbass. Yeah, that would be me. And just like, that was yeah. me 16. I was like, oh, you're so <laughs> stupid. That's not even a musical. Jesus Christ, superstar, that's a musical. Ridiculous. So dramatic. You should have done Batman. It would have been more fun. Well, now I'm thinking about it as like a really fabulous devised theatrical experience. We should have done Batman. See, because you grow into yourself as a performer and then turn around and apparently we're too old to do things. So it's a catch-22. Yeah. Um, No, it is interesting what you said about 
like being in a space that's supposed to be so open and accepting and then finding these barriers that make it not that way. Cause I distinctly remember I wasn't out at this time of my life, but I was at a uh, theater camp, which is, you know, historically a place of gay people. Yeah. And um, there was a young boy who had come out and it was me and my good friend who had been out for a while or he had, I hadn't. And I remember a counselor asking my friend to go talk to this young boy about toning down how excited he was about being out. Mm. And at the time, I think I was like, yeah, he should tone it down because of course I was dealing with my own stuff and projecting that onto him. But it's Mm. like, when you zoom out, we're at a space where like this kid should be able to feel as open and free as he can. Yeah. And like, even there was like, Hey, maybe not, maybe not so loud. Mm. Yeah. I mean, also my high school for a while was there with, they had a, they had a drag show every year and uh, it was, it was run. The drag show was run by two queer men. Mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm trying to remember it, it, it turned very quickly into this um, event where all the kind of bro students at my high school, they were usually, they were usually in music uh, where it was like their chance to dress up as women and like point out how funny it is that they're in wigs. Got it. Like it, it didn't feel, and it was interesting watching the, the queer people in drag be queer and in drag. And it was this, like, it looked aspirational. It looked like they were living their lives. It was iconic for, you know, 2002. Mm-hmm. And then watching these, these guys who are straight and they have girlfriends and they thought it would be fun to dress up in drag and shave their legs for a weekend. And they really were, I mean, I, I'll, I'll hand it to them for, for experimenting with gender at, at an early age. I'll give it, I'll give them that. Um, that one credit, but it felt like they were coming at it, uh, uh, laughing at it, not with it. Mm, mm-hmm. And so like stuff like that, where I think superficially you look at it like, Oh wow, look at this open liberal kind, you know, artistic community. And then I think when you, when you dissect it a little bit more, it's like, well, I think sometimes in these liberal spaces, there's not a ton of indictment of like how we're creating harm. <laughs> um, I mean, like, duh. Yeah. Uh, but like, it's like, well, I, no, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm a kind person. I love everybody. So I can't possibly be doing something offensive right now. But yeah, I mean, I think about that a lot about this, like, oh, it, it like really turned into this, like, oh, it's really funny to see like the future frat boys at my high school, like wear a wig and talk in like a girly voice. Um, and they, you know, they also were never as good as the, the actual like queer people that were taking the time to create like a fabulous lip sync. Yeah. You um, got to do your research. Yeah. I did see one of the drag Queens. I, I think about this all the time. She, this like 15 year old, I mean, she must've been 15. She, a little problematic. She drag, she white, white man, drag queen uh-huh. dressed up like, um, like, uh, 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 like, uh, like, like Foxy Brown. Okay. Like, like Pam Greer in the seventies. Mm-hmm. She's like, Ooh, problematic. But they did their lip sync to, um, uh, from Charlie, the chocolate factory. Gooses. 
excuses <laughs> that I want the world, yes. I want the whole world, and it was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what made you the artist you are today. And now I'm a choreographer. And now you're a choreographer. Because of that one person, I don't know, I think his name was Gabe. Elliot, you know. Full name. Full name. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't actually know their name. (laughs) Um, Well, Brendan, you are choreographer, Mm -hmm. creator, dancer extraordinaire with a history of just overlapping conversation. Yeah. And I have to know, why are you like this? A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm like this because I'm incredibly impatient. All right. Yeah. Uh, I'll elaborate. Um, I, I'm impatient with, I get antsy really quickly. Um, I, I like a lot of things. Uh, I want all of those things to be a part of my work and my life. And I think that translates into, into my choreographic work. Um, I, oh, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, um, cause it's been discussed much in therapy. Love it. Uh, so I have an older sister who's eight years older than me. That's a big difference. It's a big difference. Yeah. And I, so for a lot of my childhood, I was the only child in the house. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I was nine or 10, I had, you know, I had, a, I had a sister who was about to go to college and then two adult parents. So there was a lot of, um, not inappropriate content, but a lot of adult viewing on my end. And, and in a way that I don't, I don't see from my nephew who's, who's nine now 
and my niece who's who's seven i mean they're they're because there's two children in the room there's a lot of like child content happening at my sister's house in a way that like when i was their age i was watching what the majority of the house was watching um like i remember seeing do you know that movie serial mom no it's a john oh it's fabulous it's a john waters film starring kathleen turner and she plays a housewife who is a serial killer and she murders people based on like very frivolous things that she takes umbrage with. Like she murders somebody because they don't rewind their tapes at the, at Blockbuster. I identify with this woman too much. I, it's like really the older I get, I'm like, yeah, that person deserved to die. She murders (laughs) like her husband, her husband in the film is a dentist and she like murders one of his clients because the client was rude to him and because he wouldn't floss. (laughs) And that's just the entire premise of the film is she is she's a serial killer but so you know i'm like six years old watching this movie (laughs) um but stuff like that i remember my dad um i used he used to always stay up a little bit later than everybody else and i would come downstairs because i wasn't tired and he was watching vh1 used to do like the friday night picture show Uh that later became movies that rock um and it would just be uh like I think the music movies that were based around music. Um, so they would show like, this is spinal tap. They showed, that's how I saw, um, that's how I saw the whiz for the first time. That's how I saw Jesus Christ, superstar Godspell, um, the who's Tommy with Anne Margaret. And then (laughs) they didn't show showgirls (laughs) showgirls showgirls was still new at the time so now now it's like a new classic but at the time i don't think they would have i think it was like strictly movies that were a little bit older Mm. and then one night i came downstairs and he was watching do you know the movie all that jazz yes he was watching all that jazz and he was taping it because this was like right when i had started getting into dance and theater and i had discovered one Mr. Bob Fosse. And Never he goes, heard of him. Oh yeah. Just unknown. Yes. An unknown tour, you know? So my dad's taping it because he knew he, he was like, Oh, I was going to tape this. Cause I think you should watch this movie. Oh, dad. Yeah, I know. Ally. Um, so I just watched, I don't think I watched all of it cause it's a long movie and it was still like 11 and it was like one o'clock in the morning. So I, but I watched most of it and like that movie, I watched it recently. That is, that's my artist statement right there. Like that's my entire aesthetic as a choreographer, as a, as a queer person is encapsulated in that entire movie. I, I love that. I, now I'm trying to think of like my movie. I'll be journaling about that for a while. Yeah. I'll get back to you, but okay. that's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I, I watch it all. I mean, I have it. I have very few DVDs. That's one of the only DVDs I still own. And I, I will, like, watch it every six months just to, like, remind myself of, I don't know what it is. I just think it's so brilliant. And so it's not available anywhere. Like, you really can't stream it. Mm-hmm. So it's the, it, it actually feels very, even more special in that way because it's one of those, it's one of those movies where it's like, if you know, you know. If you saw it, you know. It feels queer because of that, you know? Yeah. And I also think, I mean, I, I, I think people um, misinterpret Fosse all the time. No. 
Oh man, it's bad. I just, and like it's musical theater, um, dancers specifically, I think misinterpret Bob Fosse. I mean, he was a dark man. He was also maybe bisexual. Sure. Who wasn't? Um, yeah, it was the sixties and seventies. Everybody's bi. Um, and I, I think, I think he's looked at as like this, this man who like knew how to stage a piece to make the women look impeccable. And that's true. But he also, I mean, if you look at the men in that, and those, if you ever see like Liza with a Z, like the men in those performances and those like stage performances, they look incredibly iconic. Like they're gorgeous. Their pants are tight. They're sexy. There's that whole pot of scene and all that jazz where like the men are in jock straps. They're like flop sweat and they're just like grinding on each other. And you want to tell me a straight man choreographed that? Nah. I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, no. And I mean, like the guy who, who directed Cabaret, I don't think so. That guy, that he, he, I'm sure he sucked a dick in his life. And I say brava. And I say, yeah. Yeah. You should. But he, yes. And I mean, like him and, he, him and Madonna are my problematic faves. But like that's, he's kind of like the person who it always kind of comes back to not just his work, but his whole persona. Just like how he, he, he was kind of a tragic figure. Um, he, he was abusive and, but the abuse was coming from this place of like, just wanting to be loved, which isn't an excuse, but it is, it is kind of an interesting thing to think about, um, that it, it didn't like from, from what I've read, from what I've watched, it's not really, it wasn't really about power for him. It was about just wanting for people to want him, um, which in itself is very queer. Um, you don't take advantage of uh, chorus girls <laughs> yeah. as a result, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I find him, I find him absolutely fascinating. And I, I generally, and this is the other reason why he can't be straight because I don't find straight men fascinating. That's yeah. Across the board. Just, yeah. just, just dull, dull, <laughs> just a dull blade, a just, butter knife, a butter yeah. knife of a person. Um, mm-hmm. No, I love that. So as you continue to create and grow, what do you think is the most exciting part of seeing other people do things that you've made? Like dancing in my work? Sure. Or saying words that you wrote down or. Um, well, I think for me, I, I love when I make work, it's because I want to talk about it afterwards. Mm-hmm. Like I want, I want, I want to st- to have a conversation. Um, the work is usually like an extension of conversations I've already been having either in the rehearsal room with my collaborators or with people close to me. Um, so my favorite part about when I make something is, is talking about it afterwards. And I don't, I don't mean like hearing praise, like that's great, but I, I actually just like, I like hearing what gets conjured up. Um, and because the work is so, veering on the side of interdisciplinary and like the more I make work, the more it's moving to more of a performance art theater space. I'm getting not, not so much a dance heavy audience. Um, it's a little bit more eclectic and I love hearing the perspective of non-dancers when they're talking about dance. Cause I find those, those tend to be the most insightful comments about dance because they're not marred with their training they're, or they're not, um, their training's not eclipsing their opinion. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I love, I love talking about it. I love like giving the, I mean, I, when you when you make a, an ensemble piece, like if you make a piece with a group, there's there's a moment where you kind of are giving the piece to them, and you you're letting them just like go wild with it. And I love giving material to somebody and and watching what they do with it. My like one of my longtime collaborators, Shannon Nash, I think is one of the reasons that I love working with her is because she's got this just wild. I mean, she's got this wild body. She's just like limbs for days and I'll, I'll give her something, you know, uh, and either move a material or, or text. And, and I'm always just so excited and also a little scared by what she does with it. Yeah. Cause um, it becomes hers. Yeah. Just like the way that like movement transmits through somebody else's body. It's the same, the same is done with words. And like, I, I choreograph my words with the movement. You know, I, I, th- I think about writing text in the way I think about making choreography. And so watching, watching my, especially like her and another collaborator, Quentin Burley, who I've worked with and working with the two of them for almost the entire time in making work, having that relationship that we can continue to build off of and like trusting each other has allowed for the rehearsal process with them in particular to be really wild because they will, I, I trust them to like, understand where I'm coming from. And I think they trust me to like challenge themselves. And they also trust me that like, I'm not going to create a space that's unsafe for them. Because I think when you, I think people often equate risk taking with, with, uh, um, danger. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't, I don't think in an art making process, you should ever die for your art. I don't think that, I don't think that taking a risk in a rehearsal room means like, breaking a window and stepping on the broken glass. Like I, I think, I think that there's a way to holistically create a space in which the dancers feel comfortable to be wild. Um, and part of that also means I'm going on a huge tangent um, only because I've been thinking about this a lot because there's a lot of abuse in dance. Uh, but that also means like, if you're going to create a space where you need the dancers to really let loose and go wild and be crazy, there needs to be a culture of consent and there needs to be a culture of, of, um, a a come down. So Mm. like when my rehearsals end, I usually end my rehearsals 15 minutes early and we talk about what we were doing. Yeah. You need aftercare. Yeah. Um, which like I maybe professionally danced in New York city for like two years before I was over it. And I've, I was in a few abusive, uh, rehearsal processes and, they're part of the reason they're so abusive because you dance your ass off and then they like kick you out of the studio and then you have to just like go be a human in the world. Yeah. You get built up on the, this drive or of whatever you're creating. You're like in this super artistic space and then it's just so jarring to be on the street of New York five minutes later. Yeah. And it's just not um, like, theater and dance and performance it's it's just it's not it's not your entire life or at least it shouldn't be i think that your life should inform the art that you make but it's you can't there there's too many tragic figures to look at to know that like investing all of your time into being an artist completely is just not healthy like that's how that's how we get a bob fossey who like dropped dead at his own premiere i yeah, I think the the way that you're looking at it is definitely the most 
healthy and like outside focus of that because I have definitely lived in the opposite side where I'm like yeah Amy Winehouse died early but she made great art and isn't that worth it no and it's it's not (laughs) well we both have BFAs so we were we were (laughs) (laughs) but no I think that's great I think I think the most beautiful thing I've heard you say about your work was just when you were like, you want to talk about it after, because I think if you keep making art in that way, it'll always be at least good, if not great. Because when people make things to finish them and then be like, Oh, I I don't want to, I don't want to talk about it after. Like it's just done. Why did you do it? What, what made you, create something to share with others for however long you wanted to do it. If you don't actually want to share it because the full part of you don't get to like cut it off. Well, and I think that's often, you know, artists who do that are often doing that from a place of such immense privilege of like, you know, what that tells me is that, you know, there's always going to be another opportunity. There's always going to be another piece to make. And for me, I mean, I don't, I don't make a work as if it's my last piece ever, but it's, it, it takes, it's a lot of work to get something in a theater. It takes a lot of money and fundraising and grant writing and applying for residencies and navigating rehearsal schedules for five people and buying costumes and printing postcards. So I don't necessarily want to just leave the theater after that. I want to, I want to have a conversation and process and have a postmortem about what the work was. I love that. Yeah. Well, Brendan, as we are winding down the pod, I asked this of all my guests, do you have any questions for me? Well, I guess Ryan, I do. Pulls out note cards. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, bitch. I have a PowerPoint on my computer. I'm just going to read from it. No, just kidding. Um, yeah, so I, I was, uh, I just listened to your interview with Marty Cummings. Oh. So this is kind of jumping off Marty's question for you. Okay. Uh, but we're, at the time of recording, we're full tilt into Pride Month. Woo! Um, woo! And it feels like we're getting, by the way, it feels like double Pride because we didn't really do pride the same way last year. Um, last year was more of a self-reflective pride. Um, but pride to me is what, is what I think Thanksgiving is supposed to feel like. Oh yeah. Um, you know, like I, as I get older, I like really can't just like, okay, let's cut a Turkey and forget about the genocide. I just, I can't do it. (laughs) Um, I love to eat, but come on. Yeah. But pride feels like, the time in the year where I sit back and think about what I'm thankful for happens during pride. Like pride is where I sit back and like, God, it's so fucking great that I can like live in this city and podcast with my friend where like within five minutes we talked about whole pics. Yeah. And it's like, (laughs) it's no one's going to arrest us. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to go like right after this, I go and I see my queer clients for an in-home, like it's, it's a lovely life. And so I'm, my question for you is what are you thankful for this pride month? Ooh, that's so good. Um, I'm really thankful for queer friendship. Um, 
I think I have a really solid group of people that it's cliche to say, but like our family, I am 3000 miles away from my like family family. Yeah. Um, but I've also, there's just like a lot of growing up that happens between, I don't know, 22 when I got here and 29 when I'm, as I'm speaking now. Yeah. That I don't think I would, would have been able to explore as much as I have without the queer people in my life who enrich it and give me new ideas and have delightful conversations with me about the validity of giving yourself fully to your art or not. Or um, when I was drinking, give me six shots of vodka and say we're going dancing. You know, like <laughs> yeah, the the ebb and flow of that, I think, really made me a wholer person which is great and something that I'm always aware of when I leave the city I feel like it's so easy to take for granted here that I am 99% of the time surrounded by queer people and I go home and it's just not the case so yeah I'm I'm thankful yeah I'm thankful for the queer people that I've met in my life who have enriched it and allowed me to grow yeah, I mean it's it's really it it is strange once you step outside of the city, out of not even the city, just like out of your like queer bubble. It it is so you feel it really hard. The air feels thicker or something. Yeah, I yeah I said it was like only when I go home, but even like when I had I had a bar job for a while, and I turned around and I was working with all straight men, and I was the one gay guy. Yeah, and that I just don't put myself in that space like intentionally mm-hmm. um and it was just weird to see like how I kind of changed in a little bit in yeah. different ways that I wasn't sure would happen <laughs> yeah I mean I, I I I went I was on a flight last week and on the flight back it was interesting um realizing that I was probably like one of the only visibly queer people on the flight besides the flight attendants. Love them. Um, well, I had like a moment where I was like, Oh, this is always weird. And then like, I had my nail polish and I had like my dangly earring and I, you know, I, I had these tells and one of the flight attendants came up to me and he's like, I love your nails. I was like, Oh, thank you. And then he pulled off his gloves and revealed he had glow in the dark nail polish on. Huh? Perfect in case of an emergency. Perfect in case of an emergency. But we just like those moments when you think you're the only queer person and all of a sudden this other person's just like, look, I'm just like you. Um, I kind of live for that. And I, it, it's something that I, I love about New York. It's something I love about living in a city. And there's, um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm totally with you. I'm so thankful for the friendships that I have. Because um, that's, I think... I mean, <laughs> not to wrap a bow around this package, but that's why I'm like this. Ooh, I love a callback. Yes. That's your question? Yeah, that was my question. Oh, I loved it. I felt like you were going to be that like, okay? And, no, that was beautiful. For some reason, I thought you were going to be like, and then what is your hair color? And what Well, is your I was going to do like a whole like, fuck, Mary <laughs> kill, Steven Sondheim, Jerome oh, Robb. Like but then I was like, no, I, I don't, we don't need to do that. We don't need to do that in the month of pride. We don't got to kill off anybody. Yes. We don't want to kill off any more queers. (laughs) Oh God. Brendan, what are you most excited for 
in your next creative journey? Um, well, I don't know if you've read the papers, but I'm moving to LA at the end of the summer. I saw that on page six. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to move to LA. I'm going to graduate school, getting my MFA. Uh, I'm not, I don't have enough. There's not enough time in this podcast for me to explain why, but I'm really excited with the decision and I'm absolutely chaffed to go to a new city for a little bit. Um, but, uh, the like interdisciplinariness of what I've been doing for the last few years has kind of taken over my process and I'm really excited to keep doing that. Um, and to keep having conversations. I'm, I'm really glad that the world is starting to open up again and that we're going to be able to have some live theatrical experiences. And I'm really curious about what kind of art comes out of this moment. I think when the pandemic hit, we all were like, what kind of art is going to happen during the pandemic? And that's less interesting to me, but like now I think we're actually in the process of like grieving this past year where most of us had the worst year of our lives or one of the worst years of our lives and also navigating being around people again. And so that I think is going to trigger a lot of interesting creative work from some people. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I like, if I never see a dance piece with masks on, I I'll be happy just, or like a piece where it's like, we're going to play with breath because people are losing their breath. Like, don't, don't do it. But the like, but the like, what was learned in isolation and then being like jolted back into in-person contact again, like that to me, especially as a movement artist, that's really interesting. And that's something that I'm continuing to look at in my work. And I'm excited to see what other people do in their work. Well, if there's any artist I trust to tell that story, it's you, my friend. I'm so excited for you. I'm so excited for the things you're going to make and the adventures you're going to have. Where, where can the children find you as you go on these journeys? Well, I deleted my Twitter this morning, so you can't find me there. Bye-bye. No more Twitter. I deleted it for pride. It was too much. Gaze, come on. Um, after I just go, I love the people that made me. No, I do. I do too. I love, I love all of you. I love, I love my friends on Twitter. I am sick. I just, I don't want to see it. I'm sick yeah. of it. Uh, you can find me on, <laughs> you can find, uh, you can find me on Instagram at Brendan Drake choreography. And, uh, I'm very friendly. So if you want to DM me and talk about dance, I'll probably reply and talk about dance with you or other things. Yeah, uh, yeah, weather. Weather. Let's talk about Hole the picks. weather. Yeah, you can talk to me about whole pics if you, you want. You can talk about them, but please don't You can them. talk about them. Don't send them. Don't do it. We didn't ask for also, it. Also, I guarantee you my parents will listen to this because they watch. They, they will watch and listen to anything with me that me or my sister is a part of. And I know I'm going to get a question about what a whole pick is. Oh, I mean, same. And I will explain it to them because you know what? We don't candy coat with our parents in 2021. No, no. This is how they learn. And that's how we grow. That's how we grow together. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this has been such a good, good chat. I'm going to carry all of these lovely feelings through the rest of my day. Thank you for coming on the pod. Absolutely. Well, until next time, everyone. Bye.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.